You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season 10, episode nine. Young Oceans is a neo-alternative worship project that evolved from a gathering of musicians reimagining hymns in a New York City apartment. Untethered from the expectations of a traditional congregational format, these artful re-renderings gave birth to a sound that is at once familiar and refreshingly innovative. The musical ethos of Young Oceans emerged as more of a companion to reflective prayer and meditation than to a typical church experience. In this episode, I talk with Young Oceans founder and songwriter, Eric Marshall, about his latest Young Oceans project, Subjects in Motion. This full-length album features an all-star lineup of artists such as Amanda Cook, Josh Gerrels, Molly Pardon, Liz Weiss, and many others, each singing new versions of previously released Young Ocean songs. Be sure to see the show notes of this episode for links to Young Ocean's music and to join the Makers and Mystics Creative Collective. Patrons of the podcast can enjoy an unedited version of this conversation, including further discussions on motivations in art making, radical individualism, and collaboration. This is my interview with Eric Marshall of Young Oceans. Eric, thank you so much for joining me today on the Makers and Mystics podcast, my friend. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to sit down with you and talk about your creative process, your new record, Subjects in Motion, and whatever other trouble we might get into today. Let's do it, man. I love it. So Young Oceans has been a project that you have worked with for a number of years now. Is that right? That's right. It's sometimes painful to recognize that it's already 10 years old. Wow. Makes me, makes me feel like an old man. <laughs> you're, you're just a wine getting refined. That's the yeah. way I look at it, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> so did Young Oceans begin as a solo project for you or has it always been a band? No, it had a funny start. So I... I was pursuing music just in, in the only way that I knew how up in New York. I'm in Nashville now, but I was in New York for about 11 years as my, where my wife and I started our family. And my sometimes part-time, eventually full-time job was at a church as a worship leader. It was a church called Trinity Grace. And I mean, now it's, this is going back 15 years or so. We were experimenting with, you know, something that, many churches do, how can we write our own songs? You know, what uh, we used to say, what is our, you know, humbly, like what is our contribution to the hymnal, so to speak? Um, And it started out adding choruses to old hymns, that type of thing. And then we kind of got bolder and began writing our own stuff. And I really, really locked into that. I was, I was really surprised at what an amazing challenge and how gratifying it was, that type of art. It was new for me. I'd been doing, doing really pop music up until then. So we had a set of songs, and it was only the songs that really were the beginning of Young Oceans. I had a friend that it really pushed me, encouraged me to go record them. And I said, I don't feel like it. I'm already doing two or three other things, you know, and I kind of brushed him off for a while, and then he really pressed me. And so the first album 
we finished and didn't even have a name or a concept or a vision. There was, no, there was nothing. It was just how can we record these songs with our friends in a way that we want to listen to them. That was the only goal. And I have to admit, all the sort of projects that I had been a part of, part of in my life up until then, we had never actually, I had never done that, like, art for art's sake, mm-hmm. <laughs> embarrassingly. Mm-hmm. I, was, it, I was always doing the whole, you know, there's some audience out there that we can try to, you know, nail or, like, hit, hit the target. Whereas this was like, let's just do it for ourselves, you know. So that's how it got started. How has that process for you formed you as an artist over the years, you know, wanting to maintain artistic integrity and at the same time carrying that heart of devotion that's in so many of your lyrics? Yeah, man, I've, I've been so humbled along the way. Like I said, I, I loved music and I, I got started a little late. I didn't start like writing my own stuff or playing instruments till like late high school. And then my college years were spent basically only doing music, much to my parents' chagrin, (laughs) um, even though I wasn't studying music formally. And I fell into the very typical young person trap of let's get famous. Mm -hmm. You know, like, what do we need to do here to just get people to tell us that we're awesome, you know? Mm -hmm. Which I've learned as an adult is often my tendency you know, it's to to try to like fool the room into thinking that I I have things all together. You know, <laughs> right? So there were, I think, sort of like sparks and bits and pieces of my early, you know, like solo music. You know, going way back that were true and 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 expressive and and certainly it wasn't false art. It wasn't wrong. But it was a little bit um, confused, you know, it was a little bit under duress of this idea that I had kind of like imbibed along the way of, well, if enough people tell me that it's good, then it's, then I'm an artist, you know what I mean? Like, yes, <laughs> it's like, why do, why do we do this? It's so absurd. Yes. And we, we have to be very careful not to overlay this on someone else that is like, because everyone it's sort of like personality type type tests. Like you don't don't go tell someone what they are. They need to discover that themselves. And I needed to discover for myself that humiliating um, fact that I had really poor motivations for a lot of years for doing what I called art. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say I was humbled is because I was I was such a scoffer at Christian music. Um, I had such a bad attitude about it, but I loved God and I do love God. And however I got to that point of someone pushing me into writing, it was a friend of mine that pushed me into, you know, beginning to try to write prayer music. That's what I call it. First thing I said was, I can't do that. No way I can do that. But I tried. And as I mentioned earlier, I was immediately struck with the gravity of this, of this type of work and how fulfilling it was, to put it simply, to not have it be about me at the end of the day. That's good. So ironically, wading into the water of the thing that I was so skeptical of and critical of for so long, which is Jesus music, was the thing that made me learn how to be an artist. (laughs) Because what I realized is like, I could probably fake a love song about a girlfriend or about my wife, you know what I mean? (laughs) I'm talking about girlfriend before I was born. (laughs) I could fake that or, you know, maybe it was true, but like, I used to do these co-writes 
when I was pursuing kind of like the pop thing, I would do co-writes with these like fancy writers. And I used to like always come up against this block when it came to like these sappy love songs. And I'd be like, I don't know, I just, I just don't really feel that. And they'd be like, what do you mean you don't feel it? It's, it's rock and roll. What are you talking about? And, and <laughs> it's because I just hadn't found my passion yet, you know? Mm-hmm. My passion was, was prayer music all along. So it was this prayer music that kind of broke me mm-hmm. and remade me into, I hope, and it's always in process, right? I hope someone that is able to recognize when I'm not being truthful or not with my, with my words, or my, in this case, my songs. And I've now had the joy of going back to some old pop projects. I have another band called The Last Royals that's been dormant, and we're about to put a, a new record, which it will reach tens and tens of people. <laughs> but it's been such a joy because I'm not doing it for the old sort of false reasons, you know? And it, yeah. it somehow took Jesus music to help unlock that for me. It's interesting you're talking about the drive for fame and that drive for fame is something that I think plagues musicians more than most artists, mm. you know, because by and large, at least historically, it's like your worth is measured by how many people you can cram into a room to witness what you do. Mm. There's a real tendency there to move away from authenticity or from authentic art making for the sake of building a following or doing something that you think is gonna make you popular. And that's a real tension, especially when your music or your art form is tied into your livelihood. Mm -hmm. So I wonder for you, as you've been on this journey of doing music as a vocation and finding your authentic voice within the art, creating in a faith context, but you know, kind of transcending some of those borders as well. How has that process developed you as an artist over the years? Like, how do you manage that tension between livelihood and, and things that might be necessity and then artistic integrity? And you know, because on the one hand, you've got complete experimental artistic freedom, art for art's sake over here. And then over here, you've got <laughs> Tens of tens might hear this, or perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you get the question. Yeah, man, that's it's great. Um, great question. You know, it's important to note that as idealistically as sometimes this project might sound in an elevator pitch, oh, it's art for art's sake. You know, <laughs> I'm the pure one. <laughs> you know, of course it's not. That's never true. It's never fully true. Like, this thing has a lot of, like, varmints I need to kind of shoot once in a while like that creep Mm -hmm. in and it's my own doing often always I'll give you an example you know it was a team of us that first were were doing this thing I had management and and all that and we didn't expect anything from from the early offerings from the early albums we were just like whatever having fun you know And and then it started to connect with with people, you know, and we're like, oh crap, <laughs> this is is this a thing? You know what I mean? Like and and that and I could almost feel like a like a tide coming in that old 
desire to, we use these terms like, how do we broaden our reach and <laughs> sure. how do we monetize? And, you know what I mean? And we sure. tried all that, man. Like, like we actually like, and and it's not for wrong reasons. It, like, right like, for sure. I think a part of me has always been like, I believe this stuff. Maybe I have to do the uncomfortable work of spreading the word, you know, because I've I've not played the label game with this project. You know, not that we've had like labels, you know, banging down our door, but we've had some labels like interested and we probably could have done it. But it's always been so left of center that I felt inclined to like keep it pretty independent. So on our second full length, it was called I Must Find You. We spent a lot of money that we still have not made back on marketing <laughs> to try to like, bleh, you know, get it out there. And you know what? You know what I found is this project, and I think it's a good analogy for just, you know, spiritual things. When you try to push it with like rusty tools, like the rusty tools of commerce and capitalism, <laughs> you know. It just is not a happy beast, you know. Mm -hmm. That's what I've found with Young Oceans. When I try to shove it into the system more or give it a kick or give it a, like we've tried publicists, we've tried, you know, we've tried doing the the touring thing with agents and at every turn it's not been wrong. We've not gotten like it's not been we haven't been sinning, you know what I mean? But like I've gotten a really clear sense that like this project is not happy when you push it. When it seems to be really happy is when I just make the albums that, that I love to make. And mm -hmm. and people find it. Amazingly people find it. Um and it's a it's a slow, long game. Right. So you know, we did that the first collaboration record was called Voices. And you know, there was part of me that was like, maybe this will be you know, we had some bigger names on it and all this, and I was kind of playing playing that game, and it was lovely. I mean, all those people are amazing, you know, but it was all these, like, artists that have, like, you know, careers. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably part of me that was like, maybe this will help us get bigger or something, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of did and didn't, you know what I mean? It, yeah. it was just kind of one more thing along the way. So that's what I've kind of had to realizes like it's just whatever the next thing is let's do it humbly mm -hmm. let's not try to squeeze squeeze money out of it you know um and the, the times when i have relied on it as like a full-time thing which has been brief intervals the last several years i'm not happy like i'm actually happier when it is just part of my life not my whole life that's good you know i think one thing that a lot of artists struggle with, especially in faith communities, is this idea of self-promotion. Mm. And I think that's something that many artists of faith wrestle with, you know, but for me, it, it goes back to these motivations that you're talking about. And I so appreciate the transparency that you're speaking about your own art and your own process, because we don't make good art once we've arrived, you know, good art happens along the way. Good art is the process, you know? Yeah. And so I think part of differentiating self-promotion from stewardship is really what we're talking about. Yeah. I've begun to look at my own art and I've begun to look at the things, the gifts that I've been given as a stewardship. And they are for other people. They are to bless others, to better the world, to beautify the world. And when, like you were saying, 
you know, it was it was fun to start writing songs that weren't about you. <laughs> uh, yes. I think there's there's yeah. something to that is when we stop viewing our art as about ourselves, we can get away from that fear of self-promotion and just understand that, yeah, we want people to hear our stuff. Yeah, we want people to see our work. And that's because we've been given a stewardship. And so I think, at least for me, that motivation helps to free us from some of the the roadblocks that that might trip us up, you know? Yeah, beautifully said. As we rise from our knees, where soil and sky meet. Well, let's talk about the new record that just came out, mm -hmm. and it's called Subjects in Motion. And this is a collaborative project that features a lot of incredible people. Josh Garrels, he's been on Makers and Mystics a couple of times, Amanda Cook, and a lot of other really incredible songwriters. Tell me how this project came to be and how this one is set apart from other Young Ocean projects. Yeah, this one is actually quite different. Um, so I mentioned earlier, several years ago, we did a record called Voices, which was songs that had been already recorded by Young Oceans and put out. It was it was in in effect kind of like our more popular like corporate worship songs. And we kind of caffeinated them a little bit and had these other phenomenal singers um, sing them. And actually to this day, some of, our, uh, some of our more popular songs on the streaming services are sung by these other artists, which is actually, I love, you know what I mean? Like the funny thing is I never really set out in music. All I wanted to do was be a songwriter. The reason I started singing is because all my bands kept breaking up and I was just a guitar <laughs> player. It's like, well, I better figure out how to do this, you know. So nice. I've always kind of considered myself a songwriter predominantly. But in truth, that record feels overproduced to me, even though, like, I love, I think people really love it. Like, it, it wasn't my heart um, because I'm such a, I'm such a control freak about production. Like, it wasn't. It didn't hit the mark of my of my creed for this thing, which is something that I want to listen to. You know, I kind of broke my own rule. You know, mm -hmm. um, which is fine, man. You know, like like sometimes, like we have to learn, right? So I wanted to do it again. The first one was called Voices, Volume One, which of course necessitates a Volume Two, which I immediately regretted calling it Volume One. I was like, <laughs> oh crap, I'm gonna have to do this again. You know, um, I went back and retroactively changed it to just voices. <laughs> I changed it on Spotify and everything, and changed the artwork because I didn't want to use that that term again. I just I'm just over that for now. So this one is essentially Voices Volume Two for the, for anyone out there that that knows, <laughs> but it's called Subjects in Motion because really, artistically, I had a different vision. I sat down with my friend. His name is John Seal, who's the producer. On this, on this album. I mean, he and I co-produced it, but he really ran the show. He's a part of a group called Mason Jar Music up in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. They've done some of Josh's early work. Um, they're just this incredible production company. He's a friend. We used to be at that church community in New York together. So for this one, we basically said, how can we make <laughs> the most peaceful, non-hyped, like organic album that we could possibly make, you know what I mean? And <laughs> I kind of had John go and handpick the songs. I, I, I had a little bit to say, 
But he actually went through our catalog and, and picked, I would love to do this one, this one, this one, this one, which was really fun. And he pulled some old songs. Actually, I think there's two, uh, two songs from our very first record that I hadn't thought about in 10 years that he's like, I want to do those two. I was like, okay. One of them is a song called I Will Be Still, sung by Molly Pardon, who's oh, yeah. one of my favorite um, I love Molly. Yeah. She's so wonderful. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of her music. And she kindly was like, yeah, I'd love to do it. And she knocked it out of the park, gave new life to this, to this old song. But the vision of it was essentially in this post-COVID context that we're all in, we just were craving something that was so gentle, you know, something that just wasn't asking us as a listener to, you know, um, just you don't have to get out of your chair for an hour. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. In fact, you can even lay on the floor horizontally, you know, like with your eyes closed and just take this in. To me, we really hit the mark in terms of making that very peaceful, you know, uh, LP. I'm really proud of it. And the, the greatest difference with this one is that I'm just doing very little. I'm singing harmonies on just about every song. I did a little bit of programming. And other than that, I'm not playing an instrument, which is a first. And it, it was so wonderful. <laughs> so, so like, honestly, the cool thing about it is like, it's just my songs. And a whole another team of people made it work. So that's why it's been really unique, yeah. Have you read David Burns' How Music Works? No. Embarrassingly, I've not, and I've like... Um, but I nod along when everybody when someone mentions it because I keep meaning to. <laughs> yeah, because you still need the cool points, right? You gotta you <laughs> yeah. gotta still be on the the end club. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm familiar. I, with, I'm familiar with that book. <laughs> yeah, I came up with the title and I've never read it. Yeah, that's right. As we're saying this, I'm going to send myself a note to purchase said book. Yes, yeah, go ahead and get it because because I'm in the cool club. I've got it right here on my shelf. You can yes. join me. <laughs> You're like, no, I'm a four. I don't want to join you. No, no I w- I'll, uh, I'll join you. <laughs> so anyway, uh, David Byrne talks about how context contributes to the art and mm. how he talks about CBGB's, the famous club in, in New York City, and how music you know, written for that context, some of the punk and some of the early just like rebellious, raucous music that was written for that context, how that same music doesn't work in a stadium, so you know, and, yep. and how context becomes a part of the art. And so yeah. we don't often allow ourselves as musicians to consider how the context becomes part of the art. And yeah. we need writers like yourself and other musicians that can break out of the traditional context and still carry that same heart of devotion. So good, man. Eric, thank you so much, man, for joining me on Makers and Mystics. This has been a really enriching conversation. Thank you, brother. It's been so sweet. And thank you guys, as always, for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and leave us a kind review on iTunes. 
If you've been inspired by this and other episodes on the Makers and Mystics podcast, please consider joining our creative collective today at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. You can help us keep these conversations going. We'll see you again next week. And in the meantime, keep creating. The world needs your art. Mm-hmm.